Evan, I have a question for you. Okay. Do you believe that we're living in a utopia or a dystopia? I mean, truthfully, I don't think it's either. I think we're in a jumbled society that has elements of both. There's a lot of good things. There's a lot of terrible things. We live in the battlefield of all these different values and ideas. That was a little bit of a trick question because it's just a lead into our episode. You tricked me. <laughs> and I just stepped just right walked, in. You just walked right you, into it. You right played me <laughs> like, like a fiddle. <laughs> hey, heroes. At the beginning of this month, Hannah went to Metatopia, a convention that is focused on playtesting new games. And we have this newish game we're working on. It's Questlandia 2, I think. I, is that the title? Well, so I think someday we're going to probably have like an episode or something where we try to figure out what the game's actually going to be called. Yeah. For now, it's Questlandia 2. So you went to this convention solo. You ran the game a couple times. Mm-hmm. Despite, I think, having the plague, was it? <laughs> Hopefully not giving anybody the plague. How was that? It was great. I ran the game twice. I ran two two-hour slots. They were mostly focused on building the world and characters because I think that, you know, we hadn't really quite made mechanics beyond that. We also did a lot of last-minute design. We did to a pull lot. That together. Yeah, and like getting all the visual elements together and stuff like the compass, rows, and the map. Um, So I ran two sessions. One was just a, like, come and play Questlandia session. The other one was a high test, which is one that's open to people who are game designers, and it was specifically focused on, like, queer themes. The first play test that I ran, it was like, yeah, wow, we are getting there. This is so Questlandia. <laughs> ha ha. So funny. We made a kingdom. People look mm-hmm. for omens and stars. It was like a very, it was very Questlandia. It felt like it was going in the right direction. The second playtest, the society we created was a fucking disaster. <laughs> it was such a nightmare. You mean the- in, a, in a bad way? Yes. <laughs> 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 the... Like, and a disaster, like, more than just, like, like the story wasn't good, but even, like, the mechanics for making the story weren't good. Oof. We were making a bad society with bad people, and the seeds to generate the things that we came up with were bad. Everybody, like, really had a good time. <laughs> like, <laughs> they did. <laughs> in that there was a lot to pick apart, but the thing that was revealed through that playtest that we'll be talking about today So in this session that was supposed to be about finding the queer themes in the game, it became obvious that the current mechanics make it really easy to slip into telling a story of a really one-dimensional type of dystopia uh, that's like a story of kind of bad people who all occupy positions of power doing Mm. bad things. Um, Sort of (laughs) noir (laughs) landia. Well... 
I mean, yes and no. You know, having replayed Noirlandia recently, I I think that there's actually a lot more room for nuance there than there is in this current version of Questlandia. And, you know, we'll be talking about some of the reasons why. Now we're going to have a divided audience, half of who are just going to want the nightmare version of Questlandia that only produces hellholes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, so here's the thing, you know, old Questlandia produce some pretty wacky, spiraling out of control societies, usually where by the end you were like, this is bullshit. The, the things that these people have done to their world is bullshit. Burn it all to the ground. Mm -hmm. But you had in there like this really like interweaving of all of these different troubles at play. Right. So that's a good lead in for me to tell you the places where I think like some of these problems are stemming from. Okay, so there's this problem. Questlandia 2 is currently making dystopias. Mm -hmm. So what in the rules is leading to that? And maybe as we answer this, we can also get into the new rules that we came up with in the <laughs> preceding final few days before the convention. Sure. All right, so I think one of the first things that's leading to these kind of one-dimensional, more cartoonish dystopias is that, so one of the first things that you do in Questlandia 2, as the mechanics stood at Metatopia, is you consult the symbol reader and roll a die to determine what drives the people and what troubles them. First you roll, you consult the symbols, you're like, what drives them? I see a hammer. They're driven by industry. Uh, then you mm -hmm. roll what troubles them. You're like, I see an apple. They're troubled by apples that keep, <laughs> that keep falling from Just the sky. Just a few bad apples, <laughs> Yeah, but like a lot of bad apples. Like bad apples <laughs> keep falling from the sky. Like people have to have these special roofs installed because apples mm -hmm. are just constantly like pummeling. Yeah, this is them. poetic. It's hard to get anything done. They're learning about gravity. <laughs> so one thing that immediately makes that different from Questlandia 1 is that in Questlandia 1, you would draw these cards and this spread of cards, you'd map the suits to different troubles. And depending on how many cards you drew of each suit, you would determine whether uh, what the escalated troubles were in your world. That was your society's health, the wealth and resources of it, uh, conflict with outside sources, and internal strife. Yeah, so... In Questlandia 1, like right off the bat, you had this world that had these more kind of interwoven, complex troubles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were coming from a, from all different directions. And, and like rather than... I, so I think this issue is twofold. First, the troubles were more like... I don't know, something you could imagine relating to your own world. Like the idea of like a health problem, a health crisis, a, a wealth or resources crisis, internal conflict is something like you can take the fantasy elements, but then like tie them back into like what you know, sort of systemic societal troubles look like. Right. Like when you when you got a external threat that's pretty threatening, you learn that it's a pretty big deal. You're not likely to say, like, it's the apples. They, <laughs> yeah. They're falling from the sky yeah, and it's the getting thing. bad. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So the, as opposed to, like, 
Oh, yeah, the external threat is apples. (laughs) It's, like, a little cartoonish off the bat. Yeah. And, like, obviously that's a problem. Like, who wants to live in a society plagued by apples? Yeah. Not me. And we we wouldn't want to punish somebody for their stroke of brilliance that leads them to interpret the apple symbol as apples falling from the sky. You know, that it shouldn't be a trap where it's like, come on, you you dummy, make it real. Like, the rules should naturally lead to that. If we're having people interpret the symbols, there shouldn't be wrong answers that could trap them. Oh, yeah, well, totally. The second thing that I think was creating these kind of one-dimensional dystopias is that in Questlandia 1, you do this thing where you draw characters where there's kind of like a list of suggested character types and you make like your char- king or magician. Yeah, messenger, warrior, and you're drawing like, oh, I'm a warrior driven by truth and mm-hmm. progress. I don't know. Totally um, true. <laughs> change in progress. Um In Questlandia 2, we took what we knew of our society so far, its troubles, what it's driven by. We'd already created some features and norms and laws and mapped out some locations. And then we use the six six main branches of the symbol reader. One of them is like a skull. One of them's an hourglass. One is is our heart. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And we mapped those six categories to different people that we created it didn't really work though i don't know if it's this that the symbols just really heavily suggest something or if it's that the symbols this way just is not kind of it it never got us down to like we never distilled down to creating individual people instead we created groups of people like okay all right we're gonna create um you know this faction that lives underground that's working to overthrow this monopoly above um or it's time to roll for the diamonds we're going to create this ruling class Mm, yeah because that's an interesting distinction it's kind of subtle like being a member of a faction if that's your role in society you it really suggests that you're a person whose views are indistinguishable to the faction you're a part of right you're just defined by being part of the plumbers union And that's that. That's who you are. It it meant that we kind of ended up creating, rather than a person, a type of person. I mean, when you come up with the roles, it's supposed to be a type of person. But it shouldn't be a type that totally defines everybody who belongs to it. Like when we say somebody's a messenger, that is the type of person... Yeah, but it's well, it's, maybe this you're really, right. it's no. this really subtle, like it's this really subtle thing that's happening where you draw that card that says messenger or holy person, and yeah. you're like, I am a holy person, or I want to be this holy person. Whereas you put all this mental work into being like, oh, what can I imagine for the heart simple? I guess it's the people who do caretaking in this society. Okay, mm-hmm. I guess I'm one of these caretakers, but there's like there's some Maybe it's that you're putting so much work into sort of like this this mental load of creating these groups that then it's hard to imagine the individuals within them. But it's it's this like really subtle thing that's making a hugely different play experience. That's tricky. That's a, a subtle difference to try to address. Yeah, it really is. 
And it's challenging because we also wanted to not use the same sort of fantasy tropes that we used in Questlandia 1. Yeah, the, I mean, this the nice thing about having the players come up with the roles in their society is that you can get worlds that feel way more unique because there's no way that we could put as a default thing like puppeteer you know like that <laughs> can't be a part shielder. that can't be <laughs> it can't, yes an apple shielder like that's a an apple Noble shielder is juicer. a great profession and obviously we can't just put that in as a default so the idea that you can create these professions and these roles in society that are unique to the weird world that you've created, I'm still completely on board with. I want that. Same. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about how these playtests went. We've talked a little bit about solutions. Do you want to talk about some of the ideas that we've come up with since then for moving this this story away from these one-dimensional sort of concepts of like a utopia or dystopia. So first, let's talk about troubles. Yeah. So in Questlandia 1, there were four categories. You'd just learn how bad each of those categories are. The implication was every society has problems in all four of these categories. Some will just be more severe than others. People are always going to be a little sick, a little, a little poor. A little fighty. conflicted and fighty. <laughs> yeah, it, that's always, you know, it's a part of a society to deal with all these different issues. And as a result, all of those troubles ended up feeling more grounded and sort of at odds with one another rather than just being a single dominating idea that is the one thing in everybody's life. So a solution simply can be Let's have more than one problem. <laughs> let's, let's, it's, it's weird to say because it actually, you know, to address the problem of this society being too dystopian, I think we should add more problems. <laughs> yeah, but I agree. And the next step is to figure out how do we frame those? Because just like we're doing with the roles in society and like we're doing with almost everything in the sequel, I want to give some of the creative control here back to the players. So instead of saying health, wealth, internal, external conflict, I want the people at the table to think about conflicts that are more unique to the kind of world they're exploring. But we should give guidance. So... For our next playtest, I want to look at making a set of troubles for a society that relate to the six principal symbols of the symbol reader. Oh, so even more than four troubles. Yes and no. Like, there's six of them, right? Yeah. It sounds uh, a little all... mundane to me to go through <laughs> all six. Yeah. But similarly, with... The troubles in Questlandia, there's four of them, but you generally don't get into too much detail about the ones that you have nothing or just one card showing. That's true. You say those true. are those are minor, they're not relevant yet. We'll get to them yeah, I think when the we draw more troubles. Yeah, I think the game says don't think about these yet. You'll yeah. get a chance to think about them when they actually get bad. So I'd like to do the same with our symbol reader. It has these six symbols. These will be categories of problem. 
and I'd like them to have some suggestions there of the kinds of problems you might come up with, you know, a resource that's running out, and give that basic framing to people so that they can take it and change it to, you know, the gods are growing impatient with our feeble singing, and, uh, you know, it's pretty severe. It's a pretty bad, a bad situation with the gods right now. There's this balance that I feel like we're going to need to strike because so many parts of the game right now ask a lot of like creative work of the players. And I think that, you know, one of the pieces that makes made the troubles not cartoonish in Questlandia 1 was the idea that like you could have this sort of weird fantasy machine with, you know, you're all slug people. <laughs> It's uh -huh. always slugs. I'm going to need to like open the floor to suggestions so it's not always slugs. I think we just need to lean into just it. Just lean. Make more of our questions about <laughs> slugs. So you have these slug people that are very small. You live in puddles. You know, you gain mm -hmm. your strength from licking the queen. Roll to see what color of slime you leave behind you. <laughs> well... No, so like that's that's sort of this absurd premise. But within that, you're like, oh, and we are sick or and we work unreasonable hours and like we can never get enough of those slug dollars to yeah. give our kids a good slug Christmas. And like, <laughs> so I have this worry, even in what we're talking about now with like, okay, let's connect our troubles to these six symbols, you don't need to have them, you don't need to have all six symbols represented. I'm a little bit worried about the like mental overload and sort of wackiness of like, what if now we just have a society where it's like, there's apples raining from the trees, we're all made of metal, so we're very heavy and we can't yeah. move anywhere. Um, and also, you know, you can only have a long-term sustainable relationship with somebody made of paper. What a drag. <laughs> yeah, like that are. Um, <laughs> I, I have this idea in my head of the troubles still being really cartoonishly dystopian. Yeah. And I agree. I think that having those troubles be more grounded, uh, well, it helps to get away from the cartoon, right? It makes a more balanced society. Unless you came up with a really straight laced society, then maybe you need some weird troubles. It's exactly like modern times, except gravity's getting kind of wonky. <laughs> well, then I think you're making a really different type of game. Then you're making yeah. this sort of Twilight Zone, Black Mirror, Slipstream type of game. Right. They're like, it's normal, but there's these three things that are really fucked up. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to know what, what, what should be part of the base game and what should be uh, DLC. <laughs> So second is this question of your character's role in your society. You know, and this problem that seems to be coming up where creating these groups never quite, at least in this version of the game, gets you to creating people who feel really real and fleshed out in within these groups. So this is tricky. I said before it's tricky. It's tricky because it has to do with how specific or vague we should be with our suggestions to players about this and and how 
unique to the world that you're exploring these roles should be. That said, there's another factor going in here too, which is considerations of material. Uh, in the old version, we had a deck of cards and we were centering everything around that. Now we're looking at a symbol reader, which has six branches and each branch has six little branches. branches. <laughs> <laughs> so there's 36 symbols around the outside. There's six on the inside and those six on the inside map to custom dice. And the goal is, you know, if we're going to have this ornate symbol reader and these custom printed dice, we don't want to use a deck of cards as well. Like that's enough. That's enough. So Questlandia 1 had a deck of cards. There's 13 different values that a card can have. And we mapped each one to a role in society from peasant to merchant to holy person to royalty. Now we have these six main symbols. It's hard to use these six symbols in the same way we used the 13 values, the 13 cards in Questlandia 1. Because as soon as you say there's just these six roles in society, that feels too limited. And that's also, that starts to, I I think, funnel it into back into the dystopia problem. Right. Of like, uh, I mean, it's such a sort of Hunger Games-y type of thing. <laughs> yeah. The 12 districts. <laughs> this district is farmy people. But at the same time, <laughs> maybe this is what we want to do. Maybe there's a way to take the 13 categories, condense them into six, but make those six even broader, right? So the working class, who are tool makers and laborers and plumbers, and like it's a, an expansive set, and that's mapped to one of the six symbols. So what, I'm, what I envision with what you're describing is basically that under the symbol of skull, say you would have these suggested character types right so skulls might say people who deal with death or bring death to others uh who are keepers of the past or predictors of the future so you would have those like broader potential character archetypes and then you would roll drives right and so then people say... would pick and hone from there. So like Questlandia 1, we make a cast of characters that nobody owns initially. So with four players, we'll generate five characters. Each one of them, we would in this proposed system, give each one a symbol that governs their role in society and a drive. So somebody whose symbol is skull will deal with one of the things I said. And they're driven by tradition and conservation. That's one of the five characters that people can choose from. And when you choose it and decide this is the character I want to play, that's the moment when you decide specifically what role they have. I think I like that to try for the next iteration because it's sort of exactly like Questlandia 1. And... Mm -hmm. uh. From the beginning, we've kind of said that, like, these were the parts of Questlandia 1 that were working. 
That's true. <laughs> but we just kind of want to stretch it a little farther. And the more broad still helps combat one of the problems we had with the original, which is it always made kingdoms. You could always have magicians and kings and, you know, peasants. And we want the kind of societies that you can make to be broader without losing that very helpful suggestion of what kind of person you are in the society. So this might be a good compromise. I'm excited to try it for the next time that the game is run, which is going to be in a few days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so again, we have our work cut out for us. So ideally, by giving a broad set of roles for characters and then having you choose what your character, what that means to your character specifically in the society, our characters will tend to feel like free agents in society that they won't be fully defined by their profession. They won't all hold the same views as every other plumber. They will be their own people who can support or resist the society. And as such, it'll be a more complex society and less cartoonishly dystopian. That's the dream. It's a good dream. Thank you. <laughs> I dreamt it myself. <laughs> all right. Any other takeaways? From the Metatopia playtest? Yes. So first, in both the first and second playtest, but even more so in the first, despite some of our like, oh, how are we going to make the symbol reader work? Should we just get rid of the symbol reader? Is it this tool that we're trying too hard to like force into the game? It has been just really like unanimously like two thumbs up to this symbol reader people like a symbol people really like it uh they think it's really cool it feels novel to them it's beautiful to look at um it's just really working okay we're going deeper into the symbol reader <laughs> and even the times that it's not working it's just because the game isn't asking the right questions to interpret the symbol right it's the game's fault well, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like in, in The Golden Compass, like Lyra obviously is sort of a prodigy with interpreting the symbol reader, uh, but sometimes you need a little nudge in the right direction. You need to ask the right questions. Okay, so we'll keep the symbol reader for now. For now, I think so. The other big takeaway, in addition to the troubles, you know, adding more troubles to make it less dystopian, yeah. adding... Um, roles where you're able, the game sort of better guides you to creating specific characters within these broader roles in your society. The other thing that came up in the second playtest that just was so valuable and really has me rethinking like the entire design of Questlandia was that like if you want to tell queer stories, the game needs to ask the right questions. So in addition to when you're doing this whole world building section, you know, we have this section where you sort of expand out your world and you're asking questions about the geographical features, what makes the people unique. The game can ask questions about um, what do what relationships look like? How do people care for each other? Who are the voices that are um, silenced? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have that right now. And like, we can just put it there. Just like how in Questlandia 1, having games, you know, where you could always have a 
king or a holy person or a warrior told a certain type of fantasy story, having prompts in Questlandia 2 that always ask you, like, who is silenced? How do people care for each other? What does community and nurturing look like? Will, you know, be queer questions. I'm so on board. <laughs> I think it's absolutely worth the effort of putting in prompts that bring up the parts of society that are the most vulnerable to being glossed over. The ones that are the least likely to be mentioned in a history book. And so to make your society more vibrant for it. And it also makes sure that in a game where we know that elements of the game will be leaning heavily towards sort of collapse stories, it means that also it kind of bakes in these stories of like care and alternative ways of loving and tenderness and compassion. As long as we don't go full utopia. Then yeah. <laughs> It's a slippery slope. So yeah, gosh. <laughs> you know, I think a lot about our game that we ran with two of our friends. It was our first ever playtest of Questlandia 2 before we even really had any mechanics for it. Mm -hmm. And we had ended up coming up with this society that I think we've talked about it before. They all lived on this. It was like this multi-generational spaceship. They were on this many years long mission to go start this mining colony on this planet that they thought was otherwise uninhabited. Mm -hmm. And part of what we came up with was like, oh, when they're, you know, they're living in such close quarters. So the ways that people communicate and interact has to be just like super intimate on the ship. And we ended up coming up with this kind of like language of love that they had, like they had ways of communicating, like I need space or I need to hash some really serious shit out with you, but we can't right now because the engines are overheating. And we came up with all these sort of like sci-fi sounding, like ship sounding love language terms. Yeah. And they were really cool. And some of them I was like, oh, these are words I want to use in my everyday. And I want to make sure that stuff like that makes it into this version. What is the people's language of love? That's going to be a really hard question for some people to answer. Like, what the what, you, what language of love? What are yeah. you talking about? Um, so I don't know exactly what these questions are, but I'm excited to talk them over with you and with others. So I feel like we have some good work cut out for us, but I feel like unlike a few episodes back, that work is kind of feeling a little bit more clear to me. Right. That's the benefit of having a playtest where the game didn't succeed in a way that we can easily identify. Mm -hmm. It gives us a clear checklist of like, okay, the roles didn't work. The society was a trash can. That's got to change. So for our next version, we'll need to make sure that the troubles of our society are multifaceted that the people are getting pushed around by a lot of different problems. And in that interplay, there's something more realistic and grounded about a complex society. Mm -hmm. We need to rethink the roles and make sure that the roles aren't similarly one-dimensional, consuming professions that, that leave no room for individuals with their own cares. We can, you know, we should keep in mind as we work on that, that that can also stem from the first problem. You make a cartoon society, you end up with cartoon roles. 
That's true. It might just be related. One might help fix the other on its own. Mm -hmm. But we'll definitely take another deep look at it and try another set of rules there. Finally, we want to make sure we're asking questions that bring up the things that are valuable in the society, the things that are overlooked or suppressed or are vibrant and need nurturing and can be brought to the forefront. You know, one of my goals for the game is that you can examine new ideas for societies that are worth considering that you're like, wait, why don't things work that way? And you can't do that if your society is completely unhinged from reality. You know, no matter how good an idea is, if it's only relevant to getting rid of apples falling from the sky, <laughs> it's not going to be inspiring for your day-to-day -day life. Yeah. So with those three things, I hope we have a really good version to playtest. And that we can push ourselves out of endlessly iterating on the kingdom setup part and get to the playing the story out within that kingdom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nervous <yeah>. laughter. <laughs> <laughs> surely that will, we'll get to that very soon. Oh, surely, surely. All right. So with that, uh, your thoughts and questions. We're really excited to announce that our board game, Good Dog, Bad Zombie, is finally available to order. It has been printed, and we're going to start shipping first week of December. So if you order, uh, it should arrive, at least if you're in the U.S., in time for the holidays, if you are wanting to give somebody the gift of gaming. <laughs> gift uh, of dog. <laughs> the gift of dog. If you don't want to give them the gift of dog, our role-playing games are also all 20% off for the rest of uh, until December 25th, actually, until Christmas. So you use the code RPG20 at checkout on makebigthings.com. You can get Noirlandia or Questlandia or Damn the Man. Save the music. For your thoughts and questions, uh, thanks to folks who sent feedback about our games, our political episode. Um, it's, I don't know, it's sort of good to know that something can not just strike one note with people mm -hmm. like there was you know uh, a mix of enthusiasm and like yeah and also you know concern like is, oh i get pummeled with politics a lot in my day-to-day -day. is this going to become a political podcast um so i just want to thank everybody who takes the time to give their thoughts to us because it's nice to know that people care enough to sit down and write an email yeah like, that takes real work, you know, sitting down and being like, I'm going to write this email. Yeah, I very much appreciate the people who are taking the time to tell us how they feel about what we're going over. Please feel free to tell us about utopias and dystopias. Yes, most people probably already know how to get in touch with us, but you can let us know your thoughts about utopias and dystopias and... uh Maybe think about some questions that, you know, can be baked into a game to make the games, um, you know, include some of these themes that we care about and we're trying to make sure are represented. So you can tweet to us at designdocpod, you can email us at designdocpod at gmail.com, or you can tweet to us personally. I am handbandit. And I'm at a drawn novel.
The design doc intro and outro theme is written by our friend, musician Pat King. Thank you, Pat. The Design Doc Podcast is part of the One Shot Podcast Network, which has a ton of great podcasts and Twitch shows. This week, instead of blurbing a specific podcast, I'd like to encourage you to listen to a One Shot Podcast that you haven't listened to before. And if you like it, let the creator know. Uh, It's always really a great feeling to hear that, you know, the thing that you're making was awesome. (laughs) for somebody to listen to. So listen to a new podcast this week. Let the people know. Leave them a review on iTunes. uh, Spread the love. If you have a little bit of love left over, you can leave us a review as well. (laughs) It helps new people find the pod. (laughs) I'm I'm dead serious. (laughs) 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 It's true. Reviews do really help. Uh, They help to you know sort of move move up a podcast in the algorithm so if you got a little another one of those clicks to spare yeah (laughs) click on over our way (laughs) 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 thank you so much for listening we'll see you soon heroes See, I was going to do the manipulative thing. We're just like by telling people to review other people's podcasts, they want to review uh, yeah, ours. Yeah, that's not how I roll. <laughs> <laughs>